How many are ready for God's word? I am excited to share today. Thank you, Josh, as usual. Exceptional job. Josh Powell, everyone. <laughs> we gave him a week off, and he's come back all refreshed and fired up. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right into the Word, because uh, I guess about five or six weeks ago, God spoke to me the text I was to use for today. And I'm going to just preemptively tell you, this is going to be a challenging Word, okay? Everybody say challenging. Are you ready? It's going to be good, but you're going to have to buckle your seatbelt just a little bit. Um, and keep in mind, as I, as I teach this, preach this, speak this today, that God had to get it in me first. So I'm not, you know, on the outside looking in on this deal. Uh, God had to really walk me through it myself in preparation for today. So let me set the stage and the story for you this morning. I like to give you a little biblical background and context to connect you to the story that we're going to be uh, ministering from today. And we're talking about the temple in Jerusalem. So the first temple was completed around 957 B.C. Uh, King David chose the location uh, for the temple on Mount Moriah, which coincidentally is uh, the, the name of my lovely niece. She was named after Mount Moriah, where it was believed Abraham had built the altar to sacrifice Isaac. But it was Solomon, his son, who actually ordered the construction and was responsible for its construction. So Solomon's temple was immense. It was an incredible architectural achievement uh, built through the laborers of approximately 180,000 uh, craftsmen, artists, workers. That took over seven years, if you can imagine. Um, it was destroyed, however, in 586 B.C. by Babylonian king Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebi, as we affectionately, unaffectionately call him. After Babylon was overthrown by Persia in 538 B.C., King Cyrus allowed the Jews to begin to return to rebuild the temple and inhabit Jerusalem. Upon their return home, which, by the way, would have taken about a four- to five-month journey to get back, from Babylon to Jerusalem, it would have taken them about nine, 900 miles. If you can imagine walking 900 miles. I can't, but somebody can. Um, the book of Ezra tells us they began work setting up a new altar when they returned. They even laid the foundations, but something happens. They lose focus. They abandon the work of rebuilding the temple, and that's kind of where we're entering the story today. I'm going to be preaching out of the book of Haggai. We're really going to cover the whole book. Fortunately for you, it's two chapters. <laughs> so you can check your Bible reading off for the day after today because we will have read a whole book of the Bible. Um, but it's really two short chapters. Um, and I don't know if I could overemphasize how strong a prophetic word is this, this is for our house. I really feel like it's for the nation, but you guys are kind of my responsibility. So we're going to start with us, and then we'll worry about them a little later. Is that a deal? All right, so as I said, lean in today, because I believe this book is somewhat of a prophetic picture of where we have been, where we are, and also a prophetic roadmap with where we're going, what's ahead of us. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. We pray you'd minister in truth, touch and change every heart in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I titled our message today, Time to Finish What We Started. 
Time to finish what we started. So how many of you have ever put off something important that you knew you should do, <laughs> that you never quite got around to? <laughs> how many high-functioning procrastinators do we have in the audience today? <laughs> you are my people. God bless you. I love you all so much. Um, high-functioning means you may not necessarily be aware of it, but it's there. <laughs> um, buying birthday anniversary cards, perhaps. Uh, going to the doctor. Anybody procrastinate going to the doctor? Going to the dentist? I, I'm about a year away from my last appointment. I just can't find the time to call him uh, for some reason. <laughs> I'll get to it someday, someday. Uh, funny story, so Elaine and I have been married four months, and at the time we lived in the apartments kind of behind the Longview Mall. Uh, for, it was called something, it's been eight names since then, but um, but anyway, one night, again, we're newlyweds, and uh, she was hanging back at the apartment, and I decided to go out for a late night run. So it was pitch black dark outside, but I was kind of running by the street lights and running down by the movie theater, and I jogged into a pothole. And yes, as you can imagine, it hurt. And as you can imagine, maybe some of you who are a little more stubborn, I decided to try to keep running. And it didn't feel any better. And so I finally stopped and I drug my leg back to the apartment. <laughs> and I got back there and Elena, you know, took a look at it and she's like, I think you need to go to the doctor tomorrow. I was like, no, I think it's just a bad bruise or a sprain. It'll be fine. So I went maybe a week, week and a half, and it was getting worse. <laughs> Every day it was like I was taking smaller steps. And so finally I gave in and went and got the x-ray, and of course it was broken. And right in the smack dab middle of summer, I had a cast from my knee all the way down to the end of my foot. It was nice and warm outside. Um, the only perk was that um, Elena had to help bathe me, and so we were newlyweds, so it was awesome. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I said that in the first service, and then she got a little red, and she was sitting in the front row. But um, true story, true story. Um, maybe some of you guys, you know, procrastinate, balance your bank account, you know, cleaning out your garage, you know, cleaning out that junk drawer or two that you have in your house, uh, exercising. Anybody procrastinate that? <laughs> Um, hey, we're getting close to the new year, so y'all get ready. It's challenge time. Um, but and to a greater extent, more significant extent, some of us put off getting our lives right with the Lord or fully giving our, our lives or our hearts to Him. I've, I've been that guy. And so, you know, we, sometimes we say, you know, I've got plenty of time. Or I can, I can, I can get back with you on that tomorrow, God. I'm not done here yet. It's, it's never a priority because it's always something that's in the future. It's always something that we can put off to a later time. Anybody else been there besides me? Many of us have experienced really rough consequences because of that procrastination, right? For me, going around on my foot for an extra week, week and a half with it broken made it worse, and it took a whole lot longer to heal because I was too stubborn <laughs> to go to the doctor. I was too stubborn. I kept procrastinating and putting it off and putting it off until finally it was unbearable. So today, we're going to see this in the lives of God's people found in the book of Haggai. And Haggai is the only 
name you'll see of that sort in the Old Testament. He was the tenth of twelve minor prophets. Um, <laughs> ironically, his name meant festive. I've never known a festive prophet. <laughs> How about you guys? I wonder if he was the type of prophet that would tell you the bad news in a good way, perhaps. Um, but we find him here in this story. He's, now, he's been in exile uh, with the children of, of God. Now he's roughly 70 years old when we kind of pick up on this story. And so let's see how festive he was. Uh, I have four short points for you today, today so let's go. Y'all ready? ready? All right. Point number one. Now is the time. Now is the time. And we'll start in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. Y'all do not make fun of my Bible pronunciation, please. Governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So let's introduce our cast of characters real quick. We've got Joshua. This is not Joshua of Jericho. This is not Joshua who succeeded or succeeded, that succeeded, came after Moses, <laughs> right? This is the high priest, Joshua. Uh, then we also have uh, Zerubbabel. He was the governor at the time. Um, his lineage actually traced back to David. So he was in the royal lineage of David, which put him obviously in the royal lineage of Christ. So significant figure in this. He also was the guy who led the children of uh, Israel back from Babylon to Jerusalem. And so we got, we got Haggai, I mentioned. He's roughly 70 or so at the time. He's the first post-exilic prophet, which just means that he's the first one to speak after the exile. So there was pre, you know, mid and post kind of exilic prophets. He's the first one to speak after they got back home. And so kind of here's, here's where we are in, in the story. This is now verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. I'm going to come back to that a bunch today. The King James Version says, consider your ways. The Message Version says, take a good, hard look at your lives. That phrase or a portion of that phrase, give careful thought to your ways, appears five times in these two short books. So it's something that I want you to really grab onto today. What, what, if you look at the Hebrew kind of translation of this, what it's saying when we look at the root words consider and weigh is to consider, to set a point or fix or establish. Weigh, the Hebrew word is spelled Derek, but it's pronounced Derach. I won't have you guys do that because I don't want you spitting on anybody, but you can do that in your free time. Um, but that word weigh means a course of life, your course of life, your journey, your direction. So put that together to set a point, a fix, or establish the course of your life. Consider your ways. Um, you might ask, like the children of Israel in this story, why, why is now the time? Because we heard that those words used in that 
that opening couple of verses. Why is now the time? So think about where they had come from. They were they come out of captivity, 70 years in captivity. Um, they had begun the work when they got back to Jerusalem. They, they put the altar up. They laid the foundations, but something happens. Um, they got off mission. Um, 16 years have now passed. So they, they started, but now 16 years have passed where we pick up with Haggai. And the, the temple's still over here in ruins, and everybody's working on the home front. They use the excuses, this is important, they use excuses like, well, we've just come out of exile, and we're in an economically depressed time, and you know, we'll get to that later, we'll, we'll do it tomorrow, or, you know, that Garth Brooks song, Tomorrow Never Comes, you know, I'm not going to channel Pastor Marty and try to sing it for you this morning, but <laughs> you don't want that, <laughs> um, but tomorrow never comes. And now we're here, and God's house is still in ruins. But the children of God's, you know, houses are are doing quite well. And that's kind of the contrast we see here. Um, by the way, uh, I looked this up because I was curious. When the Bible speaks to paneled houses in verse 4, what it's speaking to is that these houses likely had walls and ceilings covered with cedar wood. Uh, such decoration was a sign of prosperity in a land where wood was very scarce. So these people were spending freely and ornately on their own homes, making the excuse that, well, we're in an economically depressed time, like a lot of uncertainty. We just kind of got back home. Does that sound like anybody you know? Right? I, and I want you, as I go through the story today, to connect our reality with this story. What happened over this last couple of years to us? We were in exile, right? What happens in exile? We get into survival mode. We start, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. We're not talking about it being bad to take care of your family, take care of your kids, you know, take, figure out where the compass is, north, south, east, and west in a very disorienting time. But they never got back to the work of building the temple, and they kept working on their homes and obviously upgrading um, to, to have the paneled houses that they're speaking of here. So let's pick up in the story, verse 6, chapter 1. You've planted much. Now, this is what's happening. This is what's going on with them right now. You planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord says. Here's that phrase again. Give careful thought to your ways. Give careful thought to your ways. Consider them. Take a good hard look at your lives. Verse 8. Go up into the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house. What's he saying? Go get the wood and take it to my house. Not your house. Right? So that I might take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Quick note, God can only occupy first place. When we try to put him in second, third, fourth, tenth, whatever, nothing works. What's going on with them right now is their priorities gotten off. They're worried about number one instead of the one. 
And what's happening in their lives right now, as we'll see, is stuff breaks down. How many of you have ever been in a season in your life where stuff's not working? Nothing is working? And sometimes I, I've been there. I got to that place in my life where, you know, all my comfort was gone. <laughs> I was miserable. Nothing was going right. But it's what it took me to get to a place where I could look up again. So he's saying here in verse 8, Go up to the mountains and bring down the timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people, on livestock, on all the labor of your hands. I think he about covered it all. Right? So, why? Why would God do this to him? Is it because God's grumpy? Because he's angry at him? Because he's mad? How many have ever thought that about God before, being honest? Okay, John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so judged the world. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God only has one motive, guys. His motive is love, 24-7, 365. Well, how do I reconcile that? How do I explain that against what he's doing to these poor people? How, what makes sense of that? Why is maybe some of these things happening to you? Why are they happening to you? I want you to give careful thought to that today. Consider your ways today. Maybe your marriage is struggling, your relationship with your kids is struggling, you run out of paycheck before you run out of month. Anybody ever been there? Three people. You guys are not being truthful today. I love you, but let's be honest in the house of God, okay? And maybe even if stuff's going well, seemingly, there's no peace, there's no joy. Life kind of feels flat, like there's got to be something more to this deal, and there is. God was desperately trying to get their attention because he loved them, because he wanted the best for them. But how many remember the message I preached last time called Eye Trouble? When you're going your own way, doing your own thing in pride, God has to take the defensive posture. Why? Because he hates us? Because he's mad at us? Nope. Because he loves us and he's protecting us from ourselves. Amen. And we're going to, I'm going to connect that back to us here in a minute. But this motive of love is the pervasive thing in the gospel. It's the motivator behind everything God does. And you have to, a lot of times when you're reading the Old Testament, especially, you start looking at, man, God was really mad all the time. No, he was in pursuit of the people. He wanted relationship with us. He gave us free will so we could choose him. He didn't want little robots running around. But here in this story, we see all this stuff happening, all these really difficult things. And he was desperately trying to get their attention. Maybe today, God's trying to get yours. Maybe today, he's trying to get yours. Because we're all just like the nation of Israel, aren't we? 
we're hot, we're cold, we're all in, we're all out. We're on the mountaintop, we're in the valley, right? That's just a picture of the nation of Israel. We're that people. What's amazing is God's grace because he doesn't need us to get it perfect. (laughs) He just needs us to rely on him. What's happening here is it's the priorities. The priorities are out of whack. God's always in pursuit of us. We should always be in pursuit of him. I can tell you that, you know, a time in my life where I was really struggling, I I could tell you the story if I had time. I don't. You've heard me tell parts of it before, but I was running from God. Wherever he was, I was going the opposite direction. And what gradually began to happen in my life is God began removing comfort and removing distraction and isolating me to a place where I could hear him. I couldn't sleep at night. Also, you've heard me talk about my parents' commitment to pray for my brother and I during those years. But the Holy Spirit was chasing me down, and it was irritating the snot out of me. Because <laughs> I was happy running my wrong direction until I wasn't. And then all of a sudden, just I couldn't rest. Things, Nothing went right. I st- I'd stopped giving. I'd stopped serving. I just was disconnected from the source. Nothing was going well. But it took that to get me to a place where one Sunday morning when my youth pastor walked up to me, he said, hey, when I look at you, I see a big rock wall. What's going on? And God broke me. And he radically changed my life. And that's the experience I want for my kids. Not the the rebellious part that I went through, but the, the revelation of who God is. That's what we should all want. That's what I want us to really reconnect to today uh, because God's, he's always looking at us through the eyes of love, through restoration, through redemption, he's, through purpose. Amen? I didn't say that in the first service, so that was just for you guys. All right. But here's a little portrait of grace for us embedded in the text we're looking at today. This is verse 12. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. And that's not an unholy, unrighteous fear. That's a reverential fear. They honored his word. They revered him. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. Favorite phrase of the whole book. I am with you. What happened? Repentance, just like I was talking about a second ago. When God's in opposition to us and he's keeping us from making the big mistakes or taking our life in the wrong direction, when we repent, he switches from defense to offense and he's with us. Everything works better when Jesus is with you. Amen. When he's first place, life works. When he's not first place, it doesn't. Anybody experienced that besides me? Everybody, amen. Amen. So, picking up verse 14. I am with you, verse 13, verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. 
They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. They came and began to work. We got to get to work. Amen? Now's the time. So what's next? Point two. Time to stop looking back. It's time to stop looking back. So they received the word of the Lord. They obeyed it. They began working. They've got to work. This is chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, to Joshua, to the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem like nothing? Now remember, this was Solomon's temple pre-exile to Babylon. This temple was amazing, okay? It pales in comparison to anything else ever constructed since. But you got to remember, these people saw it, the elders and the people had seen that. They had, some of them had worshipped there. That was their reference point. Now they're working on this new temple, and it don't look so good. It's half the size. We got sticks and mud we're putting together. I don't know if that's what they use or not, but it wasn't what Solomon's temple was. Just to give you a contextual kind of reference point, I found some cool math and numbers related to Solomon's temple. And this is just, if you take the value of the gold and the silver, just the gold and the silver, not the bronze, not the wood, not whatever else was used in there. There's a whole lot of things. But if you just take those two metals, there would have been $216.6 billion worth of gold and silver in Solomon's temple. Can you even imagine what that place would have looked like? Seriously? And now, fast forward back into our story, we've got these elders and we've got these folks looking back and going, this, it's, it's never going to be that. And they're getting discouraged. And there were two primary things I heard from this point that I wanted to labor with you this morning. And I'm kind of speaking to my generation and ahead. Number one, there's no moving forward looking back. Right? But here's one of my burdens, and I want you to hear my heart on this. I am sick and tired of my generation, some of the older generation, hating on the current generation and the younger generation. Sick of it. Sick of it. You're prophesying them. What we've got to do is go with them. We've got we to lock hands, lock arms. We've got to go together. And I feel like when you look at what this story represents, when they're looking back and they're going, man, it was amazing back there. Man, look what God did way back there. I'm just waiting for the train to glory. Anybody know that song? I'm not singing it. Um, but... This, the attitude is we're just going, you know, we're, we're going to live in the past. There's nothing I can do about the present, so I'm going to sit on the bench. I'm going to wait, you know, for the, the train out of heaven to come and get me and take me to the glory. All right? No. 
part of what I want you to hear from me today and part of what we're exercising and implementing in this church as it relates to men's ministry, what we'll be doing in prayer ministry and some other areas is it's the joining of the generations. It's the mentoring from the older generation to the younger generation. It's that Titus II ministry that we need. We, we have got to reconnect. We got to connect in a way we never have, but we've got to understand how the enemy works in division. He works in division. He's trying to divide the generations. He's obviously trying to divide us in a lot of ways, kind of in our current culture. But specifically here, why do you hear so much hate about the generation behind us? Why do you think that? Because the devil's behind it. Pastor was talking about demonic doctrines last week. That's one of them. We've got to go where they are. We've got to lift them up, not put them down. Amen. I knew you guys would feel the same way, but guys, we got to get that stinking thinking out of our heads. We got to let it go to the garbage. The second thing I really kind of was impressed with was really the application for all of us, you know, that idea of, of not looking back. Because when you start looking back, you start comparing, and maybe you were in a great situation or you had a great relationship with God a prior season of your life, and you're looking back, and the enemy will tell you, well, you'll never get there again. And that's true because way better is ahead of you. But he wants you to believe that your best is behind you. And so they're looking back at this. You may be looking back at your life going, I'll never get there. Like, I can't, I can't recreate that. I'll never, be, I'll never be able to earn my way back into the good graces of the Lord. Well, guess what? You don't have to because his love's unconditional. And all he needs for us to do is what they're doing in this story, just repent. Say, I'm sorry. God goes from defense to offense. He's with you again. But we got to leave the past in the past. We got to set our heads and our, our, our vision to the future. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So there's no time to look back. Everybody agree? Amen. All right. Point number three time to turn our hearts to Him. So they've repented, they've obeyed the word of the Lord, they've restarted Extreme Makeover, Holy Temple Edition. These are the jokes. Um, and so I'm going to summarize this next section because it gets into some Levitical law kind of stuff. Uh, I'll save you. Uh, if you want to read it later, feel free. It's in chapter 2, verse 10. Um, but the whole point of it is they've started rebuilding. They've gone back to work. But when you look at verse 14, they're talking about if you're, you know, if you're a person, you come in contact with a dead person, you touch the food, does it make it unholy? Like they're doing all this, you know, uh, Haggai is explaining. But the point he's making is in verse 14, Haggai said, said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. So what's going on? They've gone back to work, but with the wrong attitude. How many have ever been asked maybe by your parents to clean your room? And you did it, but maybe not with the best attitude. My kids were in the first service. I promised them I wouldn't look at them. I did. I had to repent after service. <laughs> but in the kingdom, in the eyes of God, what's the only thing that really matters? Our heart, our motive. So guess what other example in the Bible we have of people doing the right thing for all the wrong reasons? Look no further than the Pharisees. They were doing everything right. And Jesus is, 
description of them was they were dead men, <laughs> essentially. They were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. I don't want to be in that category because God looks at the heart, right? Verse 15, here's, here's the phrase again. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. So he's talking, he's, he's looking back. They're taking a look back here. When anyone came to heap, came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me. Again, remember the motive of the Lord, love. You got to remember that. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, or from this 31st day of the 10th month for us, give careful thought, there it is again, to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Here it is a fifth time. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. Give careful thought. Give cautious, vigilant attentive thought today. Think about your ways. Think about the course of your life. Think about where you are, what you're doing, what's going on. Why am I doing it? Today is the day to think, guys. Give careful thought today. Motive matters more than anything else to God. They started the rebuilding, but with the wrong heart. Because God's not looking for a bunch of obligation He's looking for affection because he wants sons and daughters, not slaves. Amen? Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, his course of life, according to the results of his deeds. It's Proverbs 21, 2, every man's way or course of life is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs what? The heart. He's looking at the heart. Give careful thought to your ways. So now Israel, they've repented. They've obeyed. They've carefully considered their ways, as we are today. They've checked their motives. Now they've turned their hearts to him. What wasn't there before with the bad attitude, now all of a sudden they've got the revelation of why this is important because they want that right relationship and fellowship with God restored. So now we're, we're moving the right direction with the right motives. We're making God first place. Brings us to point four. It's go time. It's go time. Haggai chapter two, verse four. And this is all the good stuff. So we've been through all the heavy stuff. This is what happens. This is kind of the outcome and the declaration from the Lord of blessing and provision for their obedience. So verse four, be now strong, Zerubbabel declares the Lord, be strong, Joshua, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land. Why do you think he said be strong there? But maybe they were feeling weak. God was cheerleading them. He was pumping them up. He was getting them ready. He was filling them with courage, filling them with strength. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And that four-letter word, work. Oh, no. 
You're going to ask me to do something? Yep, because there's no getting around it. It takes work. God invented it, right? Look in the garden. (laughs) It's there. And work, it's go time, for I am with you, declares the Lord. Verse 5, this is what I covenanted, covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And I just want to recap the covenant God made with Moses because we get to participate in it. So when he's talking about it here, he's reminding them, Haggai is, during this, this moment in chapter 2. But he's reminding them of the covenant of when they came out of Egypt, the five divine promises of the Mosaic Covenant. Here they are. And put ourselves in the picture that Israel or us will be God's special possession, that Israel will be a kingdom of priests to God, that Israel will be a holy nation, that God will fight for Israel and overcome all of her enemies, and that God will treat Israel with grace and mercy and forgive her sin. Aren't you thankful for the covenant? that we get to participate in today. That's what he's reminding them of here. And continues on in verse 5. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations And what is desired by all nations will come. Why is all this happening? Why is he prophesying this to them? It's his covenant. All they had to do was repent and obey. And God was immediately with them. And this is the benefit of the covenant. And he says, I will shake the nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory. Remember that word glory. I'm going to come back to it says the Lord Almighty, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. What's he saying there? Everything you need, I got. Don't think about the silver and gold in Solomon's temple because I got everything you need today. That's what he's saying. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord. And in this place, I will grant peace. What's he saying there? That may have looked nicer, But the glory will be stronger here. What is glory? I'm glad you asked. Um, Glory speaks to the very reputation of God. It's his goodness. It's what he's known for. So like you've heard Pastor use this analogy before. What is the glory of Michael Jordan? It's because he's a phenomenal basketball player. It's what he's known for. What is the glory of God? Why was that important in this story? Because the glory... It's what God is known for. It's his presence. It's his goodness. It's his grace, his favor that we don't deserve, his mercy that's rich and renewed every single day. And it continues on in verse 19. From this day on, I will bless you. How many want that? Why? The word of the Lord came to Haggai with a second And a second time on the 24th day, that same day, verse 21, it says, Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones, shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. 
I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Guys, he has chosen you, just like Zerubbabel, just like the children of Israel. He has chosen us, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We get the covenant promise just because of whose we are. Amen? Amen. And so let me kind of summarize, kind of connect you to the close here of our time. So, again, think about this story in relationship to the reality that we're all living in right now. Okay? God's people are back from 70 years of exile. We're back from a season of exile. I think in some ways this last year felt like 70 years, but (laughs) anybody feel that way? They start off well. We set up the altar. We put the foundations down, but we get off mission. We get distracted. How easy is it to get distracted in seasons like what we've been through? Be pulled off mission real easy. Let our own personal wants and desires get a little out of order, get misplaced. But then God speaks as he's speaking today. Children of Israel in this story repent. They get their hearts right. They obey his word. God says, I'm with you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to increase you. Why? Because they restored relationship with him. They didn't even have the temple finished yet. Their heart changed. That was all he needed. He didn't make them finish the temple to come down and and bless their lives and to grant them what they needed and their families, and their community. He did it then, when they repented, right then. I love that in the story. And then God promises them more than the generation before them. That's the promise we have today. Because he gives them grace, he offers grace, which is that generous, free, and totally unexpected, undeserved gift that none of us deserve. We can't earn it. It's just free. Why? Because he loves us. He loves his kids. He just wants to hang out with us. Guys, it's time to finish what we started. What does that mean? We were all bought with a price. We were all before our birth given destinies, given purpose by the Lord. Every one of you has a unique, identifiable purpose that only you can fulfill. The enemy wants you to think you're not important, that someone else can do it. No. If you're not walking in your purpose, we're missing out. The body of Christ is missing out because a part of the expression of God the Father isn't coming through. He chose you. Go ahead and stand. He chose you, church.
Why was prioritizing the temple so important? Why was putting the Lord first place so important? Why was turning their hearts to him and purifying their motives so important? Because he wants a close relationship with each and every one of us. He's after us, not what we can do for him, right? He just wants, he created us for relationship. He didn't create us to get something from us or for us to do something for him. But we get to do it out of relationship. So there's a couple of things I felt impressed the Holy Spirit to, to close with. If you'll bow your heads, I want the first is an appeal to, to people who maybe, maybe you're like the, the folks in this story. Maybe you started out well, but kind of lost your way. Maybe your priorities got out of order. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. Or maybe you're one of the ones like I was at one time that did, but then wandered off path. And today you wanna drive a stake in the ground and you wanna say, it's time to go. It's time to finish what I started. And you, I wanna pray for you. So if that's you, we had so many in the first service, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is in this room. He can take what we just talked about and make it real to you today. He can reset the board. You can go from feeling opposition, feeling lost, feeling unclear, feeling distracted to absolute clarity in one prayer today by putting him first place. So if that's you today and you'd say, Pastor Mark, that's me, I've, I've struggled, I got off track, he's not first place in my life, or maybe I've never, you've never been able to make him first place. Maybe you've never received him as your Lord and Savior. Today's the day. Now's the time. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If you'll just lift your hand where I can see it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over. God bless you guys. God bless you. Give you one moment more. There's at least one more in this room. Yep. Thank you. I want you to pray a prayer something like this with me. God, without you, I've got nothing. But with you, I have everything. I ask you to forgive me of any sin in my heart or anything that I've put in first place ahead of you. I ask for your forgiveness for it. I receive the finished work of the cross in my life to wash my black heart white as snow today. Forgive me of my sin, wash me clean, and help me take every step with you, one moment at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, and show me how to love you. Because I want you as my Lord, as my Savior, and as my very best friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Give Jesus the praise for those coming to know him today. Guys, we should never get over being saved. We should never get over it. I want to pray for a second group. 
And so if you say today that, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm saved, but I'm doing, I'm doing some things that I know you wouldn't be proud of. I've got some priorities out of whack. Some of you guys that raised your hand in the first one are, are for this group, and that's cool too. I just want to make one more appeal. Because I know if you're like me, sometimes I like to disqualify myself from the altar calls. So I'm going I'm to hit, hit all of you. <laughs> but you'd say, you know what, Pastor, I've, I'm saved. I love the Lord, but I've gotten off course. And today, I want to finish what I started. Today, I want to recommit my heart to Him. I want to let today be a turning point day. So if you'll bow your heads with me one more time, if that is you, I want to pray for you. Just slip your hand up real quick. Yeah. Yep. All over the place. Father, forgive us for letting other priorities get in the way. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and grace that's new every single morning. Every morning. We need it. Lord, we're putting a spiritual stake in the ground in this moment and saying, we're going to move forward with you. We're going to put you in first place. We're going to reorder our lives. We're going to see you move powerfully in redemption, in purpose. Speak our purposes to us, Holy Spirit, even in this moment. What do you want us to do next? Lord, I thank you for these and pray that you'd lead them, that you guide them every step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 4.2 says, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. In other words, they didn't do anything with it. Here's my challenge to you today. Don't leave here and do nothing with this word. And I mean that with all love and grace. But if you hear me today and say, you know what, that's a good word, Pastor Mark, and you walk out of this room and you do nothing with it, you're just like the unbelievers. I've been there too. No shame and condemnation. I'm just asking you to give careful thought to your ways today, careful consideration of where you're at, where you're going. Let's make sure we're putting God in the middle, in the center because when we go with him, everything else works. Without him, it doesn't. So there's, there's two final challenges I'm gonna give you before I let you out of here, okay? And I'm doing good on time, so you guys are gonna beat your normal time. Everybody said, amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> All right, two quick challenges. Here's how you put that faith into action. Two practical ways. Number one, if you, in this last year or so, or maybe even before that, but, but certainly within this last year or two, if the result of what you have been through has caused you to disconnect from the church, maybe that's in serving, maybe that's in giving, maybe that's in attending a life group, get back in the game. It's time to go to work, okay? The kingdom's too important. We got souls that need saved. They're about to come. I'm telling you, the harvest is coming. And what God's been speaking to us from our elders retreat through this weekend is get ready. Why am I relaunching the prayer team next week? Because we got to get ready for people. We got to be ready when they get here. We can't wait till they get here to figure it out. So guess what? I need you. 
I need you on a serve team. I need you in a life group. I need you as a life group leader. I need you as anything that you can do to serve within the kingdom. And some of you serve outside of this house and that's okay too. But get in the game, get in the game. So easy way to do that is to text the word, uh, my pathway serve to, or nope, email. That's what we're gonna do. Email serve at pathway.team. Serve at pathway.team and say, I want back in the game and we'll help you figure it out, okay? Serve at pathway.team. If you want anything else, any other information, any other, you know, anything we can help you out with, I want you to do that. We gotta put action with our words today. <laughs> You're looking at me like, oh my gosh, he's really intense. Uh, Pastor Mark's usually not this intense. Uh, I'm just passionate, guys. We gotta get to work. We gotta get to work, amen? It's time to get back in the game. All right, this second one, then I'll let you go. This was the hardest for me because I struggled with it in my office this morning. I even texted my wife and I said, I don't know. And she told me to do it, so you can blame her. Um, <laughs> uh, don't blame her. It was, it, yeah. We're in it together. How's that? <clears throat> Elaine and I have been in seasons of our life. Just to, This isn't us bragging on us. I'm just, hear my heart. We've been in seasons of our life where God's asked us to literally empty our bank accounts and give them to the church. God doesn't tell everybody to do that, okay? But we've been extreme seasons in our life where God said he spoke and we obeyed. We've given away a car before. We've done other things in seasons. And here's what I can tell you. I've never been able to outgive him. In a season where we put all of, you know, we had all of our payroll on lockdown for the last couple of years, we've been more blessed. I don't even know how the math works, but it's because of the kingdom. And here's what God wanted me to challenge you with today. You guys are looking at me like, oh, what's coming? <laughs> here's what I'm asking you to do. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. But we have a physical representation of the temple out on 259 that we are going to see built for the glory of God and for the ministry of the kingdom. Here's what I'm doing today. My wife and I talked about it, prayed about it this morning. God spoke a very sacrificial gift. You're not going to see my amount. Uh, to us, trust me, it hurts, but it needs to. Because here's what I heard God speak to in my office this morning. We've got to position our hearts to the kingdom. That's just a, a symbol out there. It's symbolic. Right? And I want you to know, we don't need your money today. Like Pathways having the best October maybe we've ever had. This is the best month we've had, I think, all year. I'm the, I'm the numbers guy who sees it, okay? This isn't about needing to make payroll, okay? This is about the biblical principle of sowing and reaping and what happens when we put our money in the kingdom. It's just like the stock market. If I'm not following a stock, but I buy it, all of a sudden, guess what I'm checking every day? All right, this is about taking a, a, a physical action from what we're talking about today and sowing a seed into the temple, into the work of God, so that my heart follows it. And here's what I can promise you is gonna happen. We're gonna have miracles, we're gonna have testimonies. And this isn't TV preacher Mark trying to feed you a line of you know, garbage. This is God speaking to our family. And if you're a guest here today, you're relieved from this, like I'm, okay? Unless, unless the Holy Spirit speaks something to you, then feel free. But this is about us, Pathway, 
positioning and turning our hearts to the kingdom and putting it in his hands. Because when I put my resources and I put my money, especially, because what happens with when we move our, what does the Bible say about, about money specifically? It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where I put my treasure is where my heart is. In the story, they put their treasure in their paneled houses at home. Guess where their heart was? At home. We are taking a step today as a church family. Nope. We're going kingdom. We're going temple. We're investing. We invest in our relationship with God today in our temple by repenting, by getting our heart right. Now we're going to take a physical step with our finances. And I don't, the, the money, the number is not import, as important as the heart. The widow gave what would account for one-eighth of a cent. It was 100% of what she had. But it was a whole lot more valuable than those Pharisees who literally probably took and got, you know, 100 pennies for a dollar and held it up there and made it clank in the, the bucket. That meant nothing. They could have kept it because their heart wasn't right. But that widow had it right because her heart was in the kingdom. And so that's my challenge to you today. I want you to accept it. I want you to prayerfully consider it. Consider your ways, all right? But here's what I want to challenge you to do. When the miracles happen, a provision, uh, whatever it looks like, share the stories with us. They're going to happen. I can promise you they are. I just, with what God's already doing in our church family, this is just another step of obedience. So put your treasure in the kingdom and watch what he does. Amen. You can text uh, my pathway give to 77977. Or you can drop a check or cash or you can send it this week or you know if you need to talk about it with your spouse, pray about it. But don't don't use that as an excuse to walk out of here and dismiss it. Because we're gonna put some action with our faith today. Amen. It's time to finish what we started, church. Amen. Jesus, we seal this word with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we release. Everybody lift your hands up. Father, I pray a blessing. Lord, as we have repented today, as we've given you first place today in our lives, your word says you are with us. So I pronounce blessing, increase in every way, in every way Father. Time, talent, treasure, increase it, bless them, show them your favor upon their lives. Lord, I pray for supernatural miracles to happen in our people. God, do things that only you can do, that only you can get credit for. We release these into the lives, into the temples represented in this room, online and abroad, wherever this is being listened to, Lord. You have no, uh, uh, there's no time or space issue in your kingdom. So Father, we pray provision increase. Uh, we pray for restored relationships, Father, or with children, with prodigals that are gonna come home. Or with healings that need to take place, with financial miracles that need to happen. We receive them and we'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name and all of God's children said, amen. Can you give God one more big hand clap? Okay, you can do better than that. Give him your very best. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hey, if you're on the prayer team, come down now. If you need prayer for anything, now is the time to come. Otherwise, know that we love you. We're here for you and can't wait to hear the miracles and the testimonies this next week. Love you guys. Have a safe week.